When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. How did this happen? What did you do? I'm giving you the chance to change your life. Peter, come with me. Give up catching fish and I will make you a fisher of men. What are we gonna do? Change the world. You guys here this morning? I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Welcome everyone this morning to Global Outreach Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, where our vision is building a Jesus community to serve the world. So for all of you that are here in person, we welcome you. We thank God for you. We bless the Lord that something that God will say this morning will change your life forever. And for those of you, our friends, that's lying on the bed, sipping a nice Kool-Aid, lemonade, whatever your choice of beverage is. We love you, we welcome you as well, and we thank God for you clicking on to watch us live this morning. And yes, the same way, we pray that something that God is gonna say, is gonna touch you, bless you, and we are definitely looking forward for that time when you feel comfortable enough to join us in person. Because the Bible still tells us that we should not forsake the assemblies of ourselves together. Amen? Amen. So we love you. Praise God. And uh, so this morning, as uh, has been uh, advertised, and by the way, I was enjoying that uh, uh, little clip. I almost forgot myself that I had to come up here to preach. <laughs> yeah, as it's been rightly advertised, for this next few weeks, we want to uh, revisit what I call the magic of the Passion Week. Now, the world will call it Easter, and I understand that. In Acts 12, verse 4, in the King James Version, it refers to that week as Easter. But that's the only place in the entire scripture where that was so. Or rather, no, uh, let me say that again. That's the only translation that calls it Easter. The only translation. Every other translation in the scriptures calls that week Passover. The correct biblical week of Jesus' passion is not Easter. That's a pagan rite 
and a pagan world. This is a word church. We thank God for being a word church. And therefore, therefore, we take pride to the glory of God of redefining everything we say according to Bible. Check it out. Be like the Berean Christians. Don't just take anybody's word for it. You search the scriptures yourself. Acts 12 verse 4. King James, and I thank God for my old friend, King James. Oh, King James, I thank God for him. <laughs> he defines it at Easter. But every other subsequent translation correctly calls it Passover. If you're not comfortable with Passover, call it Resurrection Week. That's fine. That's fine. Now, don't break any bones over that. No argument, no controversy, no debate, but as a pastor, I owe it to you to help you understand what the truth is. But don't go arguing anybody. If they say Easter, fine, that's fine. We, you will still go to heaven. God still loves you. It doesn't matter. Amen. So don't go and get into any arguments about, over, over those things. But I just want to let you know where we're coming from. So, so for the next few weeks, I want to look at this event that changed the world. I want to take a look and hopefully pray that God will help me and you revisit the magic. I use that word magic loosely, on, on, so I don't mean magical arts, okay, please. But, but, but revisiting that passion, you know, for, for many of us, we hear Easter, Passover, Resurrection, that word has become dull. We've become insensitive to what it means other than buying new outfit, new shoes, uh, go out to dinner, blah, 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 blah. But the real importance and significance of what Jesus did, for many of us, it has become so dull, a distant memory that it doesn't do anything to us any longer. And so hopefully, by the grace of God, I'm praying that God will help us to revisit this event that changed the world. And hopefully that it will change you and I, even now, in the name of Jesus. So yes, we are visiting the characters of history's greatest miracle. And for this first installment, I want to look at Peter. Peter, Peter, who Jesus, took from an ordinary man and made him to become an extraordinary person. And so my prayer for me, for you, and for all of those that's listening or watching us is that God will add a super to our natural so that you and I will become supernatural entities as God intended for it to be. So we will not continue to live a life of status quo, just marking time, but we'll become world changers to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen? So um, where do I start? So I'm looking at Peter from ordinary to extraordinary. In the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, if you just give that to me, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, in the, in the Amplified Classic, thank you very much. This is the Hebrew writer describing who Jesus is. In Hebrews 1, 1, it tells us that God at sundry times, or at various times, had spoken to the fathers and the prophets through, had spoken to the fathers through the prophets. But that in these last days, he now speaks to you and I through his son, Jesus. So now in verse 3, he's describing to us who Jesus is. Jesus is the sole expression 
soul, soul meaning only any other entity, personality that seeks to tell you or impress you that they represent God, we see now it's a lie. Jesus is the sole expression of the glory of God. The light being, the outrain or radiance of the divine. And he is the perfect imprint of the very image of God's nature. End of story. Jesus plus nothing is God. In John chapter 14, in verse 8, Philip asked Jesus, okay, Jesus, okay, I see you, you're doing all these things, you're talking all this stuff, okay, just show us the Father. Because, you know, you, you're talking, 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 you're doing miracles, okay, we're hearing you, we're seeing you, but listen, listen, let's just say it there. Show us the Father. And Jesus said, really? You've been with me this long? In John 14, verse 9, you've been with me this long, you're asking for the Father, don't you understand that when you see me, you see the Father? As salvation was saying just now, if we can fully comprehend the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, it will settle everything for time and eternity. That's our challenge. And that's what Jesus came to reveal. He came to show you and I what the Father looks like like in our world when anything is not going on rightly if something's going on wrong especially let's say it a hurricane tornado earthquake people are quick to, play, to blame God they say this is God's, God's act of God insurance companies they don't they don't mind claiming your money when, when you're for, 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 for your premiums I mean under normal circumstances but when there's an earthquake a tornado there's an act of God really what a lie that's not the act of God. Those things do happen. We have wars, tornadoes, earthquakes because of man. Earthquakes and all that. It's not God. That's satanic. The Bible is very clear that the God, God was present in Jesus reconciling the world to himself. Why will he reconcile a world that he's going to destroy? The Bible is very clear that the God of this world, the God of this world is Satan. So don't, don't, don't misunderstand that. God loves every human being, every one of us. Whether you're a Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, it doesn't matter who you are. He didn't die for Christians, he died for the world. For so, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Don't ever forget that. Every person you pass on the street, God loves them. No matter what they do, no matter how they misbehave, God loves every one of his creation. Yes. Amen? Okay, very quickly. So we, we settle that, that when you see Jesus, you see God. Now let's go to Peter. In John chapter 1, verse 40. John chapter 1, verse 40. From ordinary to extraordinary. John chapter 1, verse 40. One of the two heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, 
he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, or Kephas, which is translated a stone. Wow, what a meeting. The very first time Jesus set his eyes on Simon, the son of Jonah, he read his mail. And for you and I, right now, you need to know every encounter you have with Jesus, he knows exactly who you are and the potential is placed in you and what he, wants, what, what, what he wants to bring out of your life. No secret. He said, you are Simon. Oh, in case you don't think that's enough, your father's name is Jonah. Simon, the son of Jonah. However, that is when you are ordinary. Because I have come to make you extraordinary. So the first thing I want to do is change your identity. From ordinary to extraordinary, from Simon hearing only, but now you're going to become Kephas, which is translated, some people call it a stone, others says a rock. That was the first encounter. Now, did Simon Peter become a rock immediately? No. It took a process of time for the transformation to take place. And that's exactly where you and I are right now. You may be frustrated, disappointed. You may be saying, wow, why am I still doing this? Why, why, have, why have I not changed in this way? Just chill. Take a chill pill. Take a chill pill. It's finished the work, but the manifestation of that which he intends is an ongoing process. Be patient. Because he told Peter, you are going to be a rock. But it took a while for that to actually take place. Paul will tell us in Galatians 2, 2 9, I don't want to go there, but I'm just going to give out the scripture and, and move forward. Paul told us in Galatians 2 9 that Peter ultimately became a pillar in the church. So we know that Jesus' uh, assessment of him came to pass. From Simon to Peter the Rock. And then Paul came in Galatians 2.9 to confirm to us that in fact he was a pillar in the church. So the first observation I want to make about Peter as we move forward in this message. First observation. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4 verse 19. And let me make my first observation. From ordinary to extraordinary. Matthew chapter 4 verse 19. Hallelujah. Matthew 4, 19. Okay. Then he said to him, or to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll define that much later in the message. Let's go to Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. So Jesus said to Peter and his group, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Okay. And he went up on a mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So the first observation I want to make is that Jesus came 
to call you and I, and in this case, Peter, into an intimate relationship with him. That's his goal. His goal is not just to give me and you fire insurance against hell. No. His goal is to create an atmosphere, to create a possibility, to create an access, whereas those of us who are, are far off, as the, book, as the book of Ephesians describes us, Ephesians chapter 2, can be brought near. His first goal is for intimacy. He says, follow me. You cannot be intimate with a person from afar off. His first call to them was, follow me. Then in Mark chapter 3, we saw, he said, be with me. Be with me. This is so important. If you and I are to ever become transformed and become all that God has called us to be, we have to learn to develop and nurture an intimate relationship with God. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, uh, during the kingdom conversation, uh, the issue of the ongoing class of grace reality was brought up. Here at Go Church, one of the means through which you can grow in your knowledge of who God is, is through the grace reality class. Because the challenges that many of us face is as a result of a distant relationship with God. We don't know him as we ought to. Now, when I say we don't know him, please, I'm not saying that in a way to depreciate anybody. No, that's not what I mean. Please, even me, I'm growing in my knowledge of who God is. It's a daily process. But for many of us, we define God by how good things are going for us. If I'm getting my timely promotions, God is good. If I'm getting the latest car, God is good. If my house is big enough, God is good. Ah, my brother died. Oh, no, no, wait, wait, what happened? God, just God don't love me any longer. We, we have no idea. We, we, we try to define God's goodness based on the whims of our emotions. Grace reality, the class, the class is a three-level, three three-module class. It helps you to be grounded in understanding the nature of who God is. And once you are grounded in that nature, you are able and ready to face life as it's intended. You will not be drawn, you will be thrown back and forth as like winds of doctrine. It's important. Jesus' first call is get to know me. Be close to me. Because when you are close to me, you know why I do what I do. This was the big difference in Israel and Moses. Psalms 103 verse 7 says that Moses knew the ways of God. Yeah. But that Israel knew his acts. Yeah. Israel, like the church today, like you and I, only see the result of what God does. We judge God by results, by outcomes. That was the way Israel was. But Moses knew the ways. What, what does that mean? He knew what drove God to do what he did. He knew what made God do what God does. does. He, he knew the nature or the attributes of God. And this is the thing. When you know the nature, you can always predict the outcome. 
Always. When you know the nature, when you know who God is, you can almost always predict the outcome. But if all you do is just know the process, you might as well go to Las Vegas and start gambling because you don't know. Amen? So the Grace Reality class for us here is a very important tool to help you get grounded in your relationship with God. I'm not going to say much more about that, but I just want to encourage you to let you know it's coming. We're going to let you know when the next series of those classes will start so you can sign on and join on it because my, 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 my biggest passion is to see all of us grow and grow, not just grow in life, but grow in that knowledge of God because if you can do that, you're home free. That's when disciples start making disciples. Jesus did not die for converts, he died for disciples. Amen? So first observation, Jesus called Peter, and by extension you and I, into an intimate relationship with him. Number two, number two, number two observation. Ah. Go with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 38. Luke chapter 4, verse 38. Wow, it's kind of hot in here. Is it just me? Okay. Luke chapter 4, verse 38. There we go. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. <laughs> but Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made a request of him concerning her. Verse 39. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and he left her. And immediately she arose and served them. The second observation I want to make here is Jesus' pursuit of Peter was over a period of time. Ah, you didn't hear that. It is very easy for you and I to read the Gospels. By that I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And like I just read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, it says, follow me, and I'll make you become the uh, fishers of men. You read that, you thought that's the first time Jesus saw Peter. That's not correct. Are you following me? Jesus' pursuit of Peter took place over a period of time. Jesus' pursuit of you is taking place over a period of time. In Luke, what we just read in verses 38 and 39, he had been to Peter's house. Peter's wife's mother had been sick. He rebuked the fever. The woman got healed. He still didn't call him at that point. This is huge. Because in John chapter 2, uh, John chapter 2, in verse 23. Can you give that to me very quickly, please? Very, very quickly. John chapter 2, verse 23. No, 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 no. I take that back. That's on me. Uh, John chapter 20, I'm sorry. Verse 30. John 20, 30. This is important that you get this. 
John 20 verse 30. And truly Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. What is what's the point I'm making? The point I'm making is all the miracles and the signs and wonders we saw Jesus did had an express, specific purpose. He just wasn't doing signs for doing signs sake. John just told us here that he did those things so that you may believe that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, and in so doing, you may have life in and through his name. So the question, I'm, the reason I'm going there is, why did he heal Peter's mother-in-law? Before he ever called Peter, he touched his mother. He was in his household. Why? Why did he do that? Because Jesus knew that in days or weeks or months to come, he was also going to call Peter away from his business. Peter will have to come home and tell his wife, I'm packing up the business. I'm giving up my business. If he multiplied the low and the fish at sea, when Peter was the only one that saw it, and the wife did not have proof that this man, this strange man you are talking about, is in fact able to sustain us, to keep us. Are you out of your mind? So what did he do first? He first went to his home, did a supernatural miracle that could, be not, that could not be denied, healed his mother-in-law right there in his house. Peter said, wow, okay, this is all right, this is new in Israel, but that's just for her. Jesus, I'm not done with it yet. On a day when you're having a bad day at work, your computer is not working. Something is going on with your operations. Profit and loss is messed up. Your bosses are yelling at you. They want to provide a result for shareholders that's going to be exciting for them. Things are all going haywire. Jesus said, chill. I got your back. Because when Peter was having a bad day fishing, Jesus showed up. For an experienced fisherman that's filled, fished all night and nothing happened, and Jesus said, don't worry about it, just do it again. You see, Peter was an experienced man at sea, but Jesus made the sea. <laughs> he made the sea. He knew where the fishes were. And if they were not there, he created new ones. Tilapia, come forth. Trout, come over here. Catfish, come over here. Hallelujah. And I'm saying, what Jesus did for Peter, he's more than able to do it for you. Because it's in a pursuit. It's after you. He wants to change your natural to super. Amen. And therefore, he will prove it to you that he is who he says he is. Amen. 
It will not stop pursuing you. So you might as well just give up. So in Luke chapter 4, verses 38 and 39, we saw that he healed Peter's mother-in-law. Luke chapter 5, in verse 1, so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets out of frustration. Then they got into one of their boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put it out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, come on. In other words, what do you know about fishing? What do you know about graphics? What do you know about real estate? What do you know about accounting? What do you know about engineering? What do you know about, I mean, we, the question can go on and on and on and on. And you are thinking you are in a field of expertise that is outside of the scope of Jesus, the owner of the universe. <laughs> all right. Master, we've told all night and got nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And he did, and the rest is history. The rest is history. So number two point is, Jesus' pursuit of Peter was over a period of time. Because after he had done that, in verse 10, Luke 5, 10 now, Jesus said, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I, listen, I, I remember years ago, uh, when God first spoke with me, uh, Sarada spoke to me to come into the, uh, into the ministry. Uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was fearful. To think that you're going to live your, uh, your means of income, your means of livelihood, and follow this so-called Jesus. And while you're following him, your rent, your mortgage still needs to be paid. Tuition needs to be paid. Car notes needs to be paid. Are you talking? How about food? Every day, food needs to be provided. I would never forget it. I ask God, I say, God, is this for real? How, how would you take care of me? How? How? This is this how much I'm making right now. What you, what, what you got to match that? <laughs> True story. I was struggling with that, with, that, with that whole thing. I'm driving my son, uh, my oldest son, to school that morning. I will never forget it as long as I live. We got a traffic stop sign. He's six years old, and he looks at me and says, Daddy, when are you going to obey God? <laughs> True story. I want to tell you, true story. True story. Six-year-old boy. He had no idea what was going through in my mind. He looked at me at six years old. He said, when are you going to obey God? I said, what, what in the world? Now, I knew, I knew, wait a minute, this guy, he had no, he didn't know anything. So I went home and told my wife, I said, I'm going to pray a prayer. Yeah. Now, you see, God will meet you where you are. Yeah. The prayer I prayed then, I will not pray it now. Okay. Because I have more light and more revelation. But we, that's where I was then. We got together, we prayed a prayer. I said, God, if this is truly you, can you provide me a thousand dollars from a source I don't know? Am I talking? Yes, you are. And I wrote it down. Seven days to the exact time we prayed the prayer. I'm getting ready for my shift at work. I work, I work the uh, midnight shift, thank you. 11 to 7 a.m., that was my shift. I'm getting dressed. We live in a condo. 
the doorbell rang. I thought I've told you guys this story before. You guys are looking at me like strange. You've never heard it before. <laughs> oh my gosh. The doorbell rang. I came down to answer the door. My unbelieving uncle was visiting in our house at that particular moment. I will never forget it. I answered the door, and there stood in my doorway this white Caucasian couple. I know them. And they said, can we come in? I said, sure. They came in the house, and the man's name is Norman. Norman Drew, that's his name, Norman Drew. Norm said to me, he said, Bank, have you been praying about something lately? I said, what do you mean? I pray every day. What kind of answer? What kind of question is that? <laughs> and then his wife took over. He said, we fought all the way home from church today, his wife. He said, because God spoke to me that we were to come to your house and give you $1,000, but no man was arguing with me that we should give you 500 <laughs> No joke. Back and forth. He said, so now we, uh, you know, we, we, we wrestled through that and we chose to obey God. Here is the check for $1,000. I'm looking at that check in my hand and I said to myself, oh my God. True story. But this time, my uncle was visiting, was coming down the stairway case. He saw us there, and I, I told him first. I said, I'm going to work tonight to quit. He said, you must be out of your mind. I didn't even try to talk to him any longer because he's an unbeliever. He would never understand what's going on. I found my wife. I said, what do we pray for? I said, here's the check. I'm going on tonight to quit. And that's how, I, that's how I started. I walked into work that night. I told my manager. It's been a very nice ride. Thank you so much for, uh, for the opportunity to serve here, but I'm going to answer a higher calling. I quit. The man said to me, oh, come on, bank. You have one year for investment, retirement, blah, 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 blah. You gave me all these nice, very good, wonderful reasons for which I should not do it. I should stay one more year later. I said, thank you for trying to help me to understand your position. I said, but now you need to understand my position. My life depends on answering and obeying what God has said. That was it. A year to the date. A year to the date when I left. Eastern Airlines went out of business. A year. My manager was trying to convince me to stay one more year. But that year never came. Now, I'm sharing that to say to you. I am absolutely, positively, confident of the God that you and I serve. It's not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said it? Will he not make it come to pass? Absolutely, completely faithful. That's the story. That's how I, that's how I came away into the ministry. I loved my job. I enjoyed it. Oh yeah, Absolutely. But in the face of overwhelming proof, yes. what do you do? Amen. So, again, observation number one, it caused us intimacy. Number two, it pursued Peter over a period of time. Number three, I just, I just, really just said it, it miraculously provides. That's what it did for Peter. And that's what it plans to do for you. Number four, observation, Peter walked on water at Jesus' beckoning as long as he kept 
his eyes on Jesus. Matthew chapter 14, verse 25 through 30. Matthew chapter 14, let's just read that quickly, and I'm about to bring this to a close for today. And I just want to say to you, please, those of you that are watching online, stay with us till the very, very end. I have a documentary I want to show you that's better than Netflix, better than Showtime, better than uh, BET, it's better than all of them. Don't miss it. Just, just stay through to the end. Amen. Amen. Peter walked on water in Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. Are we there? Good, thank you. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. They cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I. Is that the right one, the right passage? Yeah, do not be afraid. Next verse. And Peter answered him and said, now, now watch this Peter now, watch him. Watch him. You notice here in this passage, they didn't call him Simon? They didn't come Simon in this passage now. Because something is already happening in his life. A change is already taking place. He's now going from ordinary to extra. Because he's about to do something here that no one has dared even ask to do. Jesus already assured them it's fine, everything's fine. That, that was not good enough for this rock. It's fine. It's going to be all right. It's all, it will all end in praise. It will end in good outcome. But for Peter, that was not good enough. What's Peter saying? Jesus, I want to experience what you are experiencing. I'm not going to settle for the status quo. Yeah, we're in the boat. It's going to stop because you spoke. But you are, I'm seeing you walk on water. Why can't I do it? Come on, guys. You guys have children. Your kids see you do some things. They want to do it. They want to experience it. That's Peter. That's the life of the supernatural. As Jesus is in this life, so are we. Why are we settling for less? Lord, if it is you, command me. Notice what he says. He says command. He doesn't say, let me come. It's a command because he understands the authority Jesus carries. That's what we lack. We do not fully understand the authority that is vested in who Jesus is. Command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, okay, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, you've got to give it to Peter, man. You've got to give it to him. You've got to give it to him. This has never been done before. Never. Never. <laughs> he came out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. Verse 30. Verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. So the question here is, how could he be seeing Jesus and the wind at the same time? What happens to you and I is we take our eyes off the mark. And that mark is Jesus. That's why the writer of Hebrews is looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He began your faith, he's the only one that can finish it. Keep your eyes laser focused on him. How do you do that? That's why you need to go to Grace Reality class. 
Now listen, they are not paying me to advertise a class. I'm just telling you what's good for all of us. Is it truth? Because when you know how good God is, and you understand what it means to renew your mind, which means you are not trying to define your outward circumstances by what you see or feel or smell or touch. You are trying to discover your true identity, which is in Christ Jesus, and that can only be found through what he has spoken in his word. That's what that does for you. Looking unto Jesus, how do I do that? I'm doing that by finding out what Jesus has already said about the situation. And no matter what else is going on around me, no matter, it doesn't matter what else is going on around me, sooner or later, when I'm laser focused and I'm truly aligned with what God has said, my circumstances will change. They will line up. They will line up. They will line up. Oh my goodness. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. That's why we must never put our circumstances between us and Jesus. That's what Peter did. He started looking at the wind and not at Jesus. So by so doing, he put his circumstance between him and Jesus. No, no. You put Jesus between you and your circumstance. Oh, time will not permit me to show you in the scriptures. In Psalms 114, I believe it was. Israel came to the Red Sea. They couldn't go through the sea. They couldn't go back because Pharaoh was behind them. The Bible describes that sin in a very powerful way. It said Judah, that is Israel, became the sanctuary of God. They became the central. In other words, God inhabited them, and therefore what happened? Seals spread open apart. The waters broke into two. The waters immediately, because of the presence of God, split. And they walked on dry ground. You, you see, our problem is we don't know who we carry. We don't know who we carry. We've been watching Fox News and CNN too much. And all of those guys are telling you what's going on and what's happening and what's not happening, and you are thinking that's the end of it. It's much more than that. It's much more than that. Amen? Amen. Learn to understand this next few weeks the reason for which Jesus came. Yeah. I want to really encourage you. Learn to understand why he came. He came because he loved us so much. And out of that love, out of that reservoir of love, he has chosen to forgive us unconditionally. This is what this season is all about. The love of God and the forgiveness of humankind, past, present, and future. See, it's hard to understand. People don't get it. You are not there when Jesus died 2,000 years ago. That's when your sins were forgiven. So he paid it forward. Pastor I became introduced me to Starbucks. I didn't know anything about it. They don't have Starbucks in my village. But introduced me to Starbucks. And so now he left me there, but I still go there. From, in fact, I was there this morning. <laughs> no, really, I'm going somewhere with this. And every now and then, I'd go through the drive-thru. 
And they'll tell me, okay, my drink is of $12.80 or whatever the thing is, and I get in my car to pay, and I say, oh, no, the person ahead of you has paid for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's happened many times. In fact, one day, my wife and I were there, it was almost like we were grocery shopping. I give me this sandwich, give me that sandwich, give me this drink, that drink, that, that. They two sacks of bag. $32.24. I got there, I got on my car to pay. The horse, the person ahead of you has paid. In other words, it's been paid forward. They had paid for me before I got there. That's exact same thing Jesus did for you. He paid forward for your sins when you did not even know, when you were not even born. That's the best news the world has ever heard. Unfortunately, we've not said it enough, so people don't understand it. It's the greatest news. It's the, that's what's good about the news. Good news. You see, we quote John 3.16, but we don't, we, that's only half the story. Yeah. For God so loved the world, he only gave his only da, 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 da. You know the story. But verse 17 says, he did not come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Three times he talks about the world. He came into the world. That through him, the, not to condemn the world, so if he's not condemning the world, why are you? Did you create the world? Tradition Christianity has messed us up. We have gone into this religious thing about sin management. That's all it is. Sin management. Oh, what did they do sin? Oh, did they why, are you so, why are you so captivated with sin? Why can't you be captivated with Jesus? The story continues next week. Amen. But like I said, stay tuned because now I want to show you this documentary. It's better than Netflix, Showtime, BET, there it goes. God bless you. such a refreshing for me to have you minister together with me this morning, particularly knowing your background as a medical doctor. Uh, it validates everything I've been saying for years about the place of people, businessmen, lawyers, engineers, doctors, about the role of workplace ministers in the kingdom of God. And what a great job you did. I want to thank God for you, uh, for the courage, for the grace of God upon your life, and how you came across so powerfully and clearly and helped explain the scriptures and bring light to it in the way that we can gather. Thank you so much. Bless you, man. I'm, I'm really grateful uh, that you came here because uh, Pastor Nima. Yes. who coordinated this uh, event is yes. uh, based in Tangal. Yes. And there have been some specific prophecies said by many people that there is going to be a revival starting in Sri Lanka 
and it's going to be this place in Canberra. Okay. So uh, in 2008-2009, there was a massive uh, prayer revival that took place where over a thousand people prayed 21 days, 24 hours without any uh, solids, just only kids. Hmm. And when that prayer ended, the last gathering, revival began. There were healings and there were many, many cancers being healed and revival broke out in this country. We are talking about a country where in many provinces the Christian percentage is 1% or even less than that. Now where you are based right here in this in, in Tangor, in the southern province, the Christian percentage is less than 1%. That is including the Catholics. Okay. Catholics, Catholics are the largest majority of Christians in this country. So it's less than 1% total Christians here. But revival broke forth and things began to happen. But uh, little by little, mindsets crept in. Uh, pastors, other maybe leaders, hungry for power, who's mentality has not changed because they did not have the basic grounding that you were speaking about today because that was deficient that revival ended hmm. the very key people who led that change with the holy spirit broke apart and were angry with each other hmm. and from 2009 i was in that mode in that leadership I've been very dismayed about what happened and the Lord told me what needs to happen is yes there is a revival he wants to change this nation but the mindsets of the leaders and the pastors of key believers Christian leaders need to change and over the years I've been crying and waiting for the Lord to usher in that change okay because I know Although we are less than 1% Christians here in this particular province, this, the Lord is going to change that. But before he begins that revival, the mentality needs to change, grounding needs to change. And myself, Master Nima, we have been crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, how is this going to happen? And he brings in Pastor Ben. And when you began to preach, the way that the Lord has been speaking through you, how you very simply bring out things and sometimes very courageously saying things, knowing that people will oppose you. Okay? As your interpreter, yes. some of the things that you said yes. about forgiveness today, yes. okay? <laughs> I had my issues and I was thinking, is this correct? Is that right? And while interpreting, I was thinking for myself. Yes. And I knew it's correct. Yes. But it's very challenging, I know, even for the leaders. And I believe that the Lord has brought you to this nation for a specific purpose. I am sure this is not going to be your one and only visit. I see expansion happening, 
I see you speaking to key Christian leaders in the nation and their mindsets being changed. And I see that the revival that God wants to usher into this country takes place because the mindsets are changed. Okay. So, so I am really grateful. I have been really blessed at listening to you, interpreting for you, because I know God has brought you here. And this is just the, the first wave of the revival that's taking place. He's, the, the Lord has started changing the mindsets of the people through the teaching that you are bringing. And I can see that He's preparing the ground in the minds of the leaders here, removing old ways of thinking, wrong doctrine, challenging those things. And uh, although you can be very uh, intimidating at times, the way that you bring things out, <laughs> okay, uh, uh, but still, you know, you just like you said, you do it in a gentle manner, but what you say sometimes can be very intimidating to people who have been teaching something else. Okay, But I see that as a challenge and my prayer is that the Lord will choose you more and more in this nation to change the mindsets of the Christian leaders so that the revival that he's waiting to bring in can happen. So I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful to you. And I, uh, my prayer is that you and the team and the churches that are supporting you would support him to carry out the work the specific work that the Lord has called him to do and the team to do in this country so that God's revival could begin and that it would go forth. Because it started in 2008-2009. We saw revival, it stopped because of wrong mindsets. But the Lord is going to usher that back in. So I, I really appreciate what you're doing. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the grace of God upon your life. Thank you for the wisdom of God that's speaking through you. Uh, we receive the challenge, we thank God for it, and we are encouraged by what we've seen on the ground, and in particular what we've spoken into my life uh, for the to for the team. So we're going to really pray about it. Uh, we know that when we came, God has already spoken about next steps, but we just wanted to say how this was going to be. So everything you're saying to me is a confirmation of what God has already said. And I'm grateful to that, and we're going to be in touch, we're going to talk more. Uh, I just really appreciate for, for the grace of God upon your life. I mean, Christ that's in you. Bless you so much. And God bless you. I am moved to tears. With what has been happening last month, what you've been sharing. There were times that I found it difficult to do. I don't know whether any of you noticed from my voice that my voice was breaking and, and I found it difficult to bring things across because I knew what you were saying were things that the people needed to hear and I needed to hear. So I'm grateful to God for having brought me to this place just to listen to the teaching and to challenge and change my mindset as well. And uh, thank you to the Lord who will continue what He has begun Amen. and bring it to completion. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank God for you, my friend. God bless you. Amen. To help